Hey, everybody, welcome to Truth Unbound. I am Walter Swaim, and it's that time again. In between the presidential election of every four years, we have what is called the midterm elections. And now we are in the midterm elections of 2022. And when these political times roll around, there is one big issue, one big question that comes up. Uh, for the believers. They are free to be politically involved and vote, but then this question, especially in more recent years, has come up, and that is this. Should the Christian be involved in politics? Now, we're throwing in this special edition in between our other regular uh, podcasts to address this in a crucial time for our society, but not only for the society, but for the life of the church in our society. Our testimony, our reputation, the, the, the attention to the gospel, is it helping all of that or is it actually ruining it by being involved politically as Christians? In fact, the number one complaint of skeptics and atheists a lot of times is that uh, they don't want Christianity and don't want to be a Christian simply because Christians are too politically involved. Is that true? And is there a biblical imperative to be involved in politics or not to be involved in politics? Well, there you go. There's the big issue for today. And we're going to look to God's word for answers. Let's do that right now. All right, we're just about to jump into the big subject of today. But before we do, don't forget to click on like, subscribe, click on follow, and share this podcast with everyone you can today. Doing so increases the number of those who will view or listen to the truth of God's word related to the issues of today in every episode. So thank you so much for doing that. Now put on your seatbelt. Here we go. Okay, so today we live in a day and time in the United States where in the last five to ten years, there's been a shift among evangelicals to step away from any kind of political involvement. The main, the main reason for this is because of the perceived overreach of many supposed Christians in the past years to seize political control, to make America, force America into being a Christian nation once again. Now, this was done out of the perceived desire to see the government run by Christians and the country run by the commandments in the Bible. Now, in this podcast, I am trying not to wander too far into the weeds, but let me briefly explain what drives this kind of of belief or thinking uh, on the part of those who do intend to run the country uh, from a Christian perspective and who want to lead it politically only by Christians and only by the laws of God. Okay, so this motivation or this thinking is influenced by what is called dominion theology or kingdom now theology. In other words, they believe that the country and its society must be run by biblical laws only. This thinking or theology is made up of two closely related theologies under that or behind that. The first one is called Christian Restructionism. This means that uh, the entire society is to be rebuilt and governed by the moral laws of the Mosaic Law in the Old Testament. So this means that only Christians, because they're the only ones who would understand this, 
should be elected and then force this into effect on the culture and the society by political and legislative law. Some of these also believe that once we do this and get society aligned enough with God's laws, then conditions will be met for Jesus to finally return and establish his millennial kingdom. Now, another idea behind this whole type of thinking is called theonomy. This is the belief that we are already living in the millennial kingdom of God. So this, is, this belongs mainly to post-millennialists, which is for another day. Um, and they believe that man is still under and must be ruled by the law of God. In brief summary, then, the basic idea is that the country needs to be ruled by Christians only, by the church, and politically forced to abide by the laws of God in the Bible. Some would also identify this with what is now popularly called Christian nationalism. Now, we don't have time to cover that subject itself. I cover it, I cover it some in one of my podcasts, and we'll put the link to that in the description of this podcast itself. Uh, but regardless, neither of these theologies, Christian restructionism, theonomy, kingdom now theology, is really truly biblical. But now, because of the effects of these theologies, uh, which go all the way back into the late 70s and 80s and what was called the moral majority, but it no longer exists today as an organization, this whole thing back, began back then. But the pendulum has now swung by the efforts and teaching, especially of many of the big Eva leaders and their followers, to the other extreme by using the scriptures to teach that the Christian really should not be involved in politics at all, or at most only minimally involved, such as doing your vote and then keeping your mouth shut, basically, right? They justify this by saying all those years of political action by Christians has resulted now, then and now, in ruining the reputation of Christians and the church and its standing for the kingdom in the world, and it has alienated people from the gospel. Their point is, basically, if we just stop all this political involvement and retreat back to just doing what we do as churches and let the culture do what it does, then the world will be kinder to us and be more attracted or more, more approachable to the gospel. Now, in just a moment, we're going to show you a video clip from one of the biggest, if not leading voice in Big Eva in this area. In other words, this area of proposing that Christians should not be heavily involved politically or at all. Um, and that is Andy Stanley. And here's a, this clip is from his, one of his online sermons about this, the main online sermon, which was given two years ago. And uh, also from his book by the same name called Not In It to Win It. And his book just came out this last May. And so here is a, 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 just a couple of splices of his position on this subject. So watch and listen closely. Um, it's actually a version of Christianity. And um, it's a version of Christianity that I have worked very, very hard to help us avoid. And it goes by a lot of names, but I'm just going to refer to it as culture war Christianity. Culture war Christianity. This is the version of Christianity consumed with winning 
The version that sees itself um, perpetually under attack and consequently feels the need to attack back. Um, it requires an enemy for sustainability. We could talk about that, but we won't. And here's the thing, I, I am intimately acquainted with this version of Christianity because I grew up with this version. Again, I have purposefully, purposely attempted to lead in such a way that we avoid it at all costs because I am convinced that it is a perversion of our faith. And not only is it a perversion of our faith, it actually sets the church up to be a tool of politicians rather than the conscience of the nation. And Jesus, you know, I guess looking into the future and seeing where we would be today in terms of the state of the church, the church, especially the church in our nation, we have been called to be the conscience of our nation. But this version is a version that actually defines itself by what it's against, by what it's standing against, um, a version that sees the church is always under attack by the government and secularism. Um, it actually forces the church into a defensive posture. It comes across as if it's more concerned with winning than loving. It's fueled by the fear of losing something. And I call it a version of Christianity because it does not reflect, it does not reflect the first century Jesus version of our faith. Worse, it actually represents the opposite of what Jesus taught and modeled. Throughout history, throughout history, when the church has opted for the tools and the machinery of the kingdoms of this world, the church ends up looking just like this world. And the church ultimately becomes a pawn. When the church leverages the tools of the kingdoms of this world, the church looks weak, it looks desperate, it looks fearful. When we, the church, demand our way, defend our rights, not as citizens, that's different, I'll come to that in a minute, but as the church, listen, we actually abandon our distinctive, the distinctive that sets us apart to begin with. The distinctive of we are not in it to win it for ourselves, we are in it to win it for others. When the church digs in its heels in order to win on behalf of the church, We've already lost. We've surrendered our voice and our influence. We're just another organization with a self-serving agenda. Now, to be clear, as an American citizen, vote for and stand for your rights and your freedom as guaranteed by the Constitution of the United States of America. But when we speak as, and when we act as the body of Christ, it must not be for our benefit, but for the benefit of the community and the people in our communities. If Jesus didn't play the God card, come on, think about this. If Jesus refused to play the God card, if Jesus refused to exercise his authority and his rights for his own benefit, then neither should we. Political parties by nature are in it to win it. We all get that. The church is not, and the church must never be. This is why, in my opinion, this is why pastors and churches should never, ever publicly align themselves with anything or anyone other than Jesus of Nazareth. The minute we do, we abandon our defining virtue, the defining virtue of the kingdom of God. We abandon our commitment to play to lose so that others might win. So church, um, church people, Christians, 
We are not in it to win anything for ourselves. So there you have it. Now, is he correct in his application of Bible principles to this dilemma? I believe his position is well-meaning, and I agree there are definitely fringe groups who identify as Christian and do indeed have the intention of just winning it all so that the culture can be controlled and return to where they feel it should be. The problem is, is he's throwing out the proverbial baby with the bathwater, with this sweeping accusation, if you will, an application of these principles to Christianity in general in America. And for many years, I leaned this way, the way Andy Stanley is, is teaching this. But then I saw this set of scriptures. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so I thought that any persecution of believers should only happen and only happens when we preach the gospel and the government tries to shut that down. But then I saw that he says, in general, for righteousness' sake. It's not just being persecuted for preaching the gospel. It is the rejection and persecution uh, and hostility toward Christianity for living the righteousness of Christ openly and publicly in general. You see, our lives as believers are not lived in a bubble and insulated from real life. Politics, fortunately or unfortunately, as you may perceive it, is as much a part of our daily life as our work, our financial dealings, our marriage, our parenting. And we're called to be good and faithful stewards of everything in our, in our life. We carry our kingdom presence everywhere we go and in all we do. And by the way, there's nothing courageous about hiding your faith and godly lifestyle choices, and yes, even your political choices. It is, in fact, that humility and that righteous living that Stanley speaks of that we should be living out instead of political involvement. It is that type of lifestyle and choices that drives the world insane and even causes its aggression toward us. That's what Christ was talking about in Matthew chapter 5. And so this open expression of our biblically-based moral choices and worldview while showing love and sharing the gospel message is what creates the world's opposition and distancing from the church. Yet it will also attract some to Jesus and the gospel when they see the distinction and, as Peter called it, the hope and see the hope that is in you. Now, Andy Stanley and many of those who take this head-in-the-sand approach to political support and involvement of believers in, in the society that they live in um, like to especially use two key scriptures to prove their point. The first one is this, John chapter 18, verse 36. Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now my kingdom is not from here. Now, in the context of this passage, he's responding to the smirky remarks and statements of Pontius Pilate before his crucifixion. 
And he's talking about the origin and authority of his kingdom not being of this world. It also functions differently and is not dependent on the world's schemes and governing authorities. There's another key verse that they use as well. Luke chapter 20 and verse 25. And he said to them, Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Now, the context of this passage as well is when the scribes and Pharisees were trying to uh, put Jesus in an entrapment scheme here uh, to trip him up about paying taxes to Caesar or not. So Jesus took one of the coins and said, uh, whose face is on this? And they said, Caesar's. He said, then render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And so Jesus was talking about the origin of authority and purpose of God's kingdom versus earthly kingdoms and kingdoms. And he was talking about the boundaries that human kingdoms have within the kingdom of God. In fact, he is telling us here that we must dutifully give what is owed to either and both kingdoms, secular and God's kingdom, with God's kingdom having supreme authority over all. So in either passage, though, as in any other passage of Scripture regarding our duties to the secular state, it actually teaches more about how responsible and exceptionally blameless we are to strive to be as representatives of God's kingdom in the midst of a secular, ungodly kingdom and world that we are subject to. In any of these passages, there is no prohibition against active political support of certain candidates or political volunteering or anything uh, of, of such nature or even a voting. There is freedom given in this area to the believer to exercise their faith and values that come from God in the political arena as long as, it, as, as well as any other area of life, as long as it is not misdirected. And we'll talk about what that means in just a moment. Now, Andy Stanley also likes to use the early church as the example, uh, but does not elaborate on how all believers either of, those, of that time and throughout history either lived under kings or oligarchies. This representative republic system as begun in and with the United States in the late 1700s is what makes us in the United States exceptional. It doesn't mean superior. It means exceptional, uh, unique. Yet we cannot pretend God was like, whoa, now wait a minute. Whoa, hold on there, bucko. I didn't know that this was coming. I, I thought it would always just be kings or kingdoms or oligarchies, not people electing their own leaders. Now what do I tell them to do? Uh, no, that didn't happen. You see, God, God knows what he's doing. And the principles in his word apply in any culture, in any political context, in any time period. He knew what was coming and what exists now in our nation. And we are to be stewards of our political beliefs and choices as we are to be good stewards of any other area of our lives and our thinking and our beliefs. And he gives freedom in areas that he does not address specifically to be involved or not based on biblical principle. Now, there are two verses that I have not heard anyone bring up even from Christian teachers, when it comes to the Christian's responsibility in the political realm, especially in answer to those who say that 
the Christian does not need to be involved in politics or political action. Yet they make these verses make an enormous difference in how we are to act as believers toward politics and toward political leaders even. Okay, so listen to this. In Mark chapter 6, verses 17 through 20, it says, For Herod himself had sent and laid hold of John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. Because John had said to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Therefore, Herodias held it against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just and holy man, and he protected him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. Okay, so here is a glaring example in the example of John the Baptist with Herod, the King Herod, and it's not condemned by the Lord, by the way, in any way, where a believer was known publicly for their righteous and godly living and confronted their political leader, This case, in this case, the king. Uh, talk about speaking truth to power. This is the real deal here. And he, he confronted the king about his immoral living by marrying his brother's wife. Now, Herod was not a believer in Jehovah God in any way, shape, or form, but here is a godly man, John the Baptist, speaking openly against his political re- leader and against his immorality. And John the Baptist was entering the political arena not to win it and gain power and influence. But he confronted the king about his sin so that he might repent and be saved and be an example to the people. Now, is today's follower of Jesus any different when he or she speaks openly against the corruption and sin of their own political leaders today? Is there any prohibition intended here against the believer to keep their political leaders accountable and to elect leaders who will be accountable to the people? Here is another obscure passage that has huge implications for the believer's involvement in the political area of life. Acts chapter 24, verses 24 and 25 says, And after some days, when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Now, as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered, go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. Okay, now no one brings this verse up either. Here is a believer, an apostle, yes, but still another servant of Christ like any of us. And he talks to his political leader directly and brings up the uncomfortable subjects with him, warning him about God's judgment, his lack of self-control, meaning morally, and about the way to live a righteous life, which most surely included the gospel in any and all of this discussion. You see, like Herod, Felix, this government leader here, had also lured his now wife from her previous husband and married her. Paul confronted his political leader about a better way, calling out his sin. And what was, was Felix's reaction to him? Rejection distancing. Kind of like when believers hold political leaders today accountable for their open corruption so that they too might see the light. 
and, and that it would be better for the people and the gospel? You see, this type of confrontation and call to accountability might take another form today, such as a Christian supporting a candidate, to take the place of the ones who are morally corrupt and hurting the people and prohibiting the life of the gospel and the values and righteousness of Christ to be lived freely in the society that they live in. So let's bring this all up uh, and wrap this all up together. You see, there is no scripture that by command or principle from God that teaches the believer to not be involved in the political process of their nation or community, especially so that godly values are preserved in the political leadership as well and the laws that they enact to govern the people. In doing so, they are still loving their community, even more so. They're, they're not not loving their community or being an example, a humble example, uh, as Andy Stanley would say, that if you get involved in politics to this level, that you are not loving your community. You're not being the example that Jesus is. They are not surrendering their pursuit to be like Jesus. By doing this, they are pressing more into it because the Lordship of Christ also affects this area, the political arena of their life and their community. Now, what we see across the scriptures, what God does warn us not to do is that we are to be careful to not make government our God. For instance, in Psalm chapter 20, verse 7, it says this, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. In Psalm 146, verses 3 through 5, it says, Do not put your trust in princes nor in a son of man in whom there is no help. His spirit departs, he returns to his earth. In that very day, his plans perish. Happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. So we're not to be trusting in human government. We are not to put our ultimate hope in human government at all. Only our hope should be in God alone. But we are taught by God that we must be careful to back up our words and our actions, the political ones, especially with a righteous life. And that the primary mission for all of us, the church, is not to be forcing people to live by God's laws or to gain political influence so that they will do it but rather to proclaim Jesus and his good news and make disciples of Jesus. And may I also add this as well. We need to be careful about claiming a certain political party as God's party. God doesn't need or join any political party. He is Lord. He stands alone. And so should we stand alone, identified by our beliefs, values, and love, that come from Christ and his Holy Spirit alone and not from some political party's platform. I'm reminded, we're reminded well, as Tony Evans said, we must not drape the cross with the American flag, thus confusing the American dream and civil religion with the kingdom of God. I know as pastor of our church, uh, we never endorse, as a congregation, we never endorse any candidate, no matter how good they look and how good they speak, uh, no matter how much they say they align with our beliefs. On our property, we do not allow anyone of any party to put their candidate signs from, from either party, anybody. 
We teach the biblical principles that we are to carry into the voting booth and into our, in, in, in our involvement in the political process. If anything else, it's so that the gospel has freer ability to be proclaimed in a freer society. Paul said this as such himself when he said this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. But let me take a step back as well. I get it. I, like Andy Stanley and others like him as a pastor, especially during the COVID periods, faced some of the same battles and struggles with the decisions people were making uh, and decisions that we had to make during that time. And the responses from people were confusing and emotionally exhausting. I also agree with some of the general sentiment that he expressed that Christians in America have often put way too much value in politics for a very long time. Some have indeed draped the American flag around the cross, and that is not biblical, and it does not glorify God, and it is not good for us and for the testimony of the gospel. The problem here is that he and other evangelical influencers, teachers of the Bible, have simply thrown the pendulum too far to the other side in a sweeping way, essentially saying, well, go ahead and vote and yeah, make a stand for your rights, but don't do it too much or you'll push people away from Jesus and then apply some biblical principles in a way the biblical author did not intend. When the church is supportive of righteousness based on biblical values and the life and character of God himself, of Jesus specifically, in the culture, it doesn't mean we want to win and have control over people and make people conform to Jesus before they even know him as Lord and Savior. It's simply about us as the church being stewards of the culture we live in, in every aspect of our life. We don't want or need political power, the vast majority of us. In fact, most of us are conservatives, and contrary to the extreme liberalism of our day that never rests from political activism and control and power, a characteristic of conservatives, almost to a fault, is they have the habit of electing their leaders and let them represent their values while they go back home and live their lives and build their lives and the lives of their families in quietness and peacefulness. So if Andy Stanley and others like him want to aim their frustration at any block of believers, uh, it needs to be to the far right or far left, or those of the dominion or restructionist uh, theologies and, and activism, but not a sweet, in a sweeping way to the mainstream majority of believers who are just trying to be responsible citizens and stewards of the righteousness of God in the culture and resist the evil in their culture so that the gospel can more freely reach their communities and, the, and benefit everyone in that society, saved or not. The wise believer knows that this world is not their home, and that we're just a passing through, like the old song says. But we, as the church, will give an account one day before God for how we lived for him in this life and how we treated and served others while here. That includes civic duties. Well, I hope that this has cleared up some of the confusion concerning this topic. 
uh, that is very popular today among many evangelicals concerning a Christian's involvement in the political area of life, and that you can see an alternative view of what God is saying in the scriptures, what I believe to be the really biblical view. Jesus is to be Lord of our lives in every area of our lives. We're to be good stewards of everything God gives us, even the area of political life and belief. Hey, thanks so much again. And remember to click on like, click on follow, subscribe uh, to this podcast, and then share the podcast with everyone you know. And also remember to follow Jesus, because when you do follow Jesus, you will always follow the truth.